afternoon. I'm Dr. James Smith Jr. and welcome to the Dr. James Show. Hope everyone is feeling great, rested. Hope you had an opportunity yesterday to really reflect on the meaning of the holiday and was able to spend time with the people who are closest, closest to you. This month is LGBTQ Pride Month as well as Black Music Month. And we wanted to make sure that we did some shows with those themes in mind. Our guest for today, wow, you talk about someone who does heavy lifting. Woo, she does a lot. Let me read her title for you. She is the US lead of oncology customer marketing at GlaxoSmithKline. I've known her for some time and I can't wait for her to share her story. It's a compelling story. Her name is Jennifer Garofolo. Jen, welcome to the show. Hi there, Jim. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing phenomenally well. And how are you? I'm good. Well, you know, it wouldn't be a COVID environment if uh, I didn't keep myself on mute, right? I'm introducing myself. <laughs> <laughs> Question real quick. Do you remember when we met? Oh, yes, I do. Do you want to tell a story? Do you want me to tell the story? I think that you tell the story much better than I do. <laughs> All right, here we are. Jen is Rutgers University Executive MBA program, and they are just finishing off their week in residency. They started on Sunday and they were finishing on, on Friday. I came in to teach on Friday. Now, mind you, Thursday night, for them, they were celebrating finishing the week. So I knew that they would come in super exhausted. So I said to the group, when I introduced myself, if, I want everyone to stand up, so everyone stood up. I said, if you were in bed by eight o'clock last night, please sit down. No one sat down. Nine o'clock, no one sat down. Now, it's around 40, 50 people in the room. Finally, by 12, half the group was down. Needless to say, there were three people who did not go to sleep. <laughs> and one of them was Jen. She was up the whole <laughs> night, but she partied hard and she was the perfect student. She was awake the whole time. And I said, I want to get to know her. And that was nine, 10, 11 years ago. And we've been championing each other's cause ever since then. Do you remember that story? <laughs> um, that was 12 years ago, my friend. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> <But it> was <laughs> counting. <laughs> wow, that, that, that was fun. That was fun, but a lot has changed since then. So I, I gave your title. Tell us what a U.S. lead of oncology customer marketing does. <laughs> So um, I'm on the marketing team at GSK and we focus on um, our customers. So working on, I work with hematologists, nurse practitioners, pharmacists, um, oncology nurses. So we really focus on, you know, the marketing solutions connecting from a peer-to-peer -peer perspective with Beautiful. the key folks around the country. Now that's the one way of looking at it or one way describing you. I think you do a great description of you in this video. It's taken three years ago. Let's share it with the group and let folks know what else you do and who else you are. Here we go. What you see in front of you is a woman 
a leader, a wife, a mother, and a friend. These roles, this is how we define ourselves, right? I feel, though, at times they're really contradictory. And with these roles, I found myself in a very complex place as a leader, as a mother, as a mother of a child with severe mental health issues, a caregiver, someone who didn't realize that they were suffering, didn't put the oxygen mask on first, because I was that expressive driver who was going to knock down every single wall to make sure that we figured out what my daughter had. But I'm proud to say that all of these roles today have helped me define myself as the most important role, and that is of a, as of a mental health advocate. All right, that was three years ago. Fill us in on, on what that session was about and perhaps what has happened since. Yeah, sure. You're not supposed to make me cry right off the bat. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness, you weren't kidding with the surprises. So I had the fortune at that point in time in my life and in my career, um, I was working for Johnson and Johnson and I had met some really amazing people there. Craig Kramer being one of them, who is currently the mental health, um, mental health ambassador for all of J and J. And I had the opportunity to help uh, work with him and a great team of people to start the mental health diplomats. So I was asked to speak in California at Mindshare Partners where um, really working uh, to really break the stigma of mental health uh, at work. Wow. So since then, so you wanted to, uh, sorry, sorry, you had a second part of that question. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you'll notice there that I had said my daughter had, um, had uh, mental health challenges and that was the case. My firstborn was born a female um, and birth name was Gianna. And um, listen, this child has had, you know, a ton of mental health challenges since they were very young. And we can go into that if, if another question if you have that for me. Um, but I'll tell you what, I think, you know, that journey and why God put me through that Craig and I and that fam our family through that journey, because we were really quiet about it for a number of years and really mm. a lot of judgment around how we were raising our child, thought that we were causing the behaviors. Um, well, no, it wasn't us causing the behaviors, even though we got in our head about that quite a bit. And we pulled away from a lot of people because we did think it was our parenting style. Sure. And then we realized that, no, there's, you know, I've got my master's in public health. Why am I asking? Why am I not bringing my child to someone? And realized after a couple of misdiagnoses that um, our child suffered from generalized anxiety disorder and oppositional defiance disorder at a very young age. So that probably started at two, but really got correct diagnosis at six. Well, I think that everything is put in your path for a reason, um, for your calling. And, um, because I become so vocal as a national mental health advocate, um, two years ago, actually the week of July 4th, um, I get a text from my child when we're on vacation in Wildwood saying that I think I'm non-binary. And I'm like, okay, I have no idea what that means. I, you know, I have a lot of gay friends mm -hmm. and I'm like, all right, well, what is this non-binary thing? And how do I wrap my head around it? Well, we moved forward and got um, him the help that he needed to quickly realize that he wasn't non-binary, but he was transgender. And um, at the age of 12, he came out to us. And because I wasn't silent about it, um, we were able to get him the support and help that he needed in a quick 
and the quick um, time frame. Jen, let's 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 rewind a little bit. Mm -hmm. Take us back to that moment when you receive the text. What were you thinking? What were mm -hmm. you feeling? Where were you cognitively, emotionally? Can can you take us back? Sure, of course. So, so we're in Wildwood. We do we we had started this tradition. Um, a couple of years ago, my husband, Craig, did that. And it was interesting because both of, I had two sets of aunts and uncles down that day. We were having a great day. And Daniel had been, I'll tell you, we thought like we, at the end of the school year, so in May, we we're like, oh my gosh, all the work that we've been doing around his mental health, he's turning the corner. He's, he's empowered. He's advocating for himself. You know, he had a service dog. He's like, I don't want the service dog. I want to just be a typical kid, right? I want to start the next school. So we're like, all right, we're going to activate, right? So um, it was, everyone was asleep and I'm sitting on the couch and you're exactly where I was in that condo and I'm laying down and he texted me. And that was the way he communicated with me a lot when he had to, to, to um, share some difficult information with me or just, you know, he wasn't comfortable speaking it. it he, that sure. was, you know, he wouldn't look you in the face. He really would prefer, he was more comfortable that way. And I remember like, oh my gosh, I don't even know what this word is. And then I'm like, when I looked it up, I'm like, wow, this is really confusing you know, how does a person feel like they don't, sometimes they're, they don't know if they fit as a female or a male, like how, how terrible, how terrible and how this kid, like, I'm like, can't this poor kid get a break? Like he's just suffering so much. So that's kind of where I started. Thank you. Thank you. For those of you who want to join the conversation, please put your questions or thoughts in the chat room and we will get to them. Absolutely. We will. So Janet, at that point or after that point, what did you put into motion? What, what was the plan? Yeah. Uh, the conversation with Craig, the conversation with your, your two other daughters. What, mm -hmm. what, was, what was the action plan? Yeah. So the first action plan was me having a conversation. Well, I, obviously, I didn't tell Craig until the morning because he was sleeping already. And I'm like, this is what I found. But then Daniel was also texting us some stuff like uh, to places to look so that I could better understand what it meant to be mm -hmm. non-binary. Mm -hmm. And then I asked him, hey, are you cool going to your current therapist? Are you comfortable speaking to them about this? Or do you want me to find somebody that specializes in this? And he was not comfortable speaking to his current therapist. Right, right. So we found so we activated to your point, you know, that driver mentality. Found someone. Driver. <laughs> yeah. Um, found someone. Um, but I'll tell you, as we talk about mental health in general, um, it's, it's hard to find very good practitioners. And we've not had the best experience here in New Jersey. So we did find someone and, you know, where I like to look at the silver lining on things. Um, but this was really hard for us to wrap our head around too, right? Um, to try to understand how he felt. And um, at that time, he didn't share what he wanted his name to be, but using pronouns of they, them, right? That's for non folks that mm -hmm. are non-binary. So that was really hard, right? Grammatically, we weren't raised that way. So that was even how, that- how, how did he feel? How did um, he feel this time, he was, the time? Um, he was really, so it didn't get a lot really bad for him until after. Okay. Um, and I'll, I'll explain that piece of mm -hmm. it. I think- um, I'm sure he was nervous, but he said that he was, I think one of the things that Craig and I have always taught from as soon as they can speak is that, um, you know, when the you know little kids are playing and they're like, do I have to marry a boy? Right. And no, you marry who you love. 
So we've always right. been open in that, in that fashion. And I think that's the reason why he was so comfortable to come to us about it. Now, Jen, you, you were talking about the action steps <laughs> to get things moving. And you were talking about how Daniel felt at that point. What happened next? Yeah, so it was interesting. And this goes into the care, the, um, the therapist part of this. So we went mm -hmm. to somebody who specialized in gender and sexuality. And unfortunately, I think it's a good and a bad part of this. The good okay. part is that it helped Daniel to get to a place quickly, right? For him to realize what his truth was in being transgender. Yeah. The tough part for us as parents was that they weren't communicating well with us. So um, there were times when we would walk into the therapy session at the last 15 minutes. And I'll give you the example, because I'm sure, you know, Craig and I both remember how we felt is that mm -hmm. this individual who is not an MD, but a therapist was talking to our child about testosterone, right? And kind of um, laid that on us at the tail end, like, when are you going to start testosterone in this child? And we hadn't even, they hadn't even educated us sure. as to, and we hadn't done any work because we didn't know he had just come out as transgender. So we had no idea what the heck that the implications could be, especially for someone who has mental health challenges too, right? And it's hard to find the right medication there. The good piece about this and why I brought up earlier, the vocal, you know, the reason why yeah. from a calling perspective, I think it's really important. And um, I'll have to let this individual know again after, uh, after we finish the show, but it was because I spoke out loud about it, because I shared what was going on in my life with people. Um, you know, obviously you learn really quickly who your friends are and who wants to be around you and accept yeah. versus not, but it also connected me with somebody. And I didn't know this individual when I was a J and J I knew of her Debbie Kenworthy. Mm -hmm. And somebody connected me with her because her child went through the same thing wow. at 15 and she was willing to talk to me. And it sounds like that, she played a profound role. Huge. Profound role in life. Yeah. Huge. And uh, she said to me, and this is the, that changed everything for Craig and I was, I wish he would have come out sooner. Um, and her son is 15 and she's very vocal as well about her child. Um, but Daniel was only 12 and to me it was there was a lot of fear Craig and I were really afraid of the whole hormonal treatment and not having explored that option yet we had gotten on the wait list for Yale's gender clinic but she opened our eyes to CHOP and CHOP's gender mm. clinic mm. and that's where Daniel gets has been seen and um the sole reason why we were able to kind of wrap our head around it was because of this woman wow and because of your drive, uh, your advocate mindset, it's just part of who you are. And with regard to that, since, ever since I've known you, you've been an advocate. Where does that stem from? At what point in your life did you say, I'm going to be an advocate for now on? <laughs> you know, was it high school? Was it college? Was it childhood? I mean, you yeah. do some significant heavy lifting for others and then yourself? Um, you know, I think, you know, I was raised Lutheran and I went to Catholic school my whole life. So I, I was really drawn to the church. Um, 
very early in my in my life. So volunteerism was something that always was really important to me. Uh, and I didn't come from much either. Um, my dad was a truck driver. My mom stayed at home, but I never wanted for anything. And I thought it was our, you know, you have to pay it forward, right? Treat those the way you want to be treated. Um, I got to tell you though, um, and I did missionary work in college too. I went to Russia um, there, but I'll tell oh, yeah. you, but I'll tell you for me, I always think about, you meet people, people pass in your life for certain reasons, right? Yes. And sometimes it's a hurtful reason, right? To learn a lesson. Um, I love oncology. That's what I've been doing for a good part mm. of my career. Um, I've been, and then when I was going through this with our child, um, I could not believe how fragmented the system was. And here you have an educated woman with two master's degrees, works in pharma, could help anybody in the oncology world. Anyone who's got a cancer issue, I can connect you to the right person. I know the questions to ask. Two when masters, I, Ivy undergrad, Brown University, just saying. <laughs> the, um, I couldn't believe, I could not believe the disjointedness of the mental health system. And um, when he was really young, having gotten ridiculous diagnoses and misdiagnoses at the age of four and five and um, and, uh, we're still dealing with that, right. With the brokenness of the system. So for me, um, it was 16, 2016, I remember, and you were actually a big part of my life that year too, because I had hired you on as a coach. Yes. And, yeah. um, and I remember something that, that, um, Dr. Smith said to me, he said, cause I was feeling really, you know, in that video, right. Not putting the oxygen mask on myself. Yes. And I was this high flyer at J and J and I was struggling. I was my, I was struggling with a leader that just was not supportive. And I was living out loud with what was going on with mm -hmm. our personal situation. And I'm like, they think that I'm sick. They think that I'm not the professional woman that I was. And he said, and I, I remember where we were sitting then too. And he said to me, Jen, it's not you, because if it was you, you wouldn't be seeing what's going on around you, right? And that was the point in time where I knew I had to change something. And that's where I got very involved from a mental health capacity at J&J. &J. Um, but I knew at that point in time, I needed to write a book about our mm -hmm. mental health journey. Oh, we're going we're gonna to talk about that book. <laughs> we're going to talk about it because I'm looking forward to, to reading it. There's a, there's a question in the chat room. Let's go there. It says, what advice would you give someone parenting a transgender child. Again, what advice would you give someone parenting a transgender child? So um, I think the first thing I'd like to, and I said this to, to Dr. Smith beforehand, is that I want to separate things out first, right? We've been talking a lot about mental health. There's two distinct issues that I see, right? There's the transgender, right? The gender identity and the mental health. They're two separate distinct issues. I don't want to combine them. However, we do know when a person's struggling from a transgender perspective or any sexuality or gender identity challenges, it impacts the overall mental health and well-being, right? What I have learned um, and what Craig and I have learned, and we went through this obviously together with our son, is that, um, and as we've joined groups right online, everything's got to be online through COVID, we're dealing a lot of this through COVID, is that um, Daniel wasn't alone in how he was presenting. So when a person, there's a couple of things that we needed to rule out before we understood his truth, right? Was mm -hmm. it due to a trauma that happened when he was younger? Mm -hmm. Was it 
the medication, right? Because antipsychotics can have paradoxical reactions and cause dysphoria. So dysphoria is when, so think about yourself looking in the mirror and you're just disgusted with what you see. Why did God do this to me? You know, why am I a man in a woman's body? Right. And I didn't, we didn't know about this. We didn't understand it. So what happened um, when he came out to us in 19 and then through 20 was that we didn't even realize how much he was withdrawing. So what I would say is that, that people that are transgender um, and what I've witnessed through the groups too, is that they, they all, they're hiding their bodies. They're shameful of their bodies. They wear very big baggy things. They become reclusive. Um, They, you know, we had to learn, you know, mirrors bothered him. He didn't want to shower, but that's not, that's typical, unfortunately, for people who are dealing with this. Um, I think from a, you know, the question to kind of full circle back on how Mm -hmm. do you parent a child like this is that when you find their truth, you've got to support them and meet them where they're at. And again, like I was really fortunate that, you know, the testosterone thing really in the beginning was like, oh my God, like, can't like, he's already has mental health challenges. What can this potentially do to the medication, to puberty and all this, but finding really great doctors that are specialists work with you. Right. And you have to advocate for, for them. I think the other piece is that you really quickly have to respect what, you know, how they want to present. And um, again, we worked really hard when we were using the they, them pronouns because it didn't come naturally. Sure. And I, and I said to Daniel, I go, when he finally told us what he wanted to be called as Daniel. And when he was good with using he, him pronouns, it sounds crazy, but that was easier than the they, them. So that was clear in my, in my narrow mind. It was like, no, that's a lot easier than using they, them. So I would just say finding the right resources and, and talking about it. There's a, there's a comment. I'm going to read it. It says, you are brave and courageous. The tears that you are shedding are tears that so many are unable to shed. The stigma that surround marginalized groups is unfathomable. Unfathomable. My, my uh, best friend sent me a quote today, and I thought that it really was applicable for our discussion. It says, just because someone carries it well, doesn't mean it isn't heavy. And it's like, wow, it has Jennifer written all over it. You carry it well, but it's heavy. And then to add the pandemic to the situation, I'm sure that played a role um, in what's been happening as well. Jen, what's been the impact on on you, um, your family, um, your friends, others? What has the impact been? Sure. Um, I'll go with me first, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll tell you what, I, I remember the day when I finally came to terms with it and I knew that it was his truth. Um, he was suffering with some mental, like with mental health instability, just because his medications weren't right. And we were sitting, um, he was in Yale for a week and I remember sitting on the rocking chair with him and the snow just started. It was in November mm-hmm. of 19 mm-hmm. and all those other things I you know, mentioned about kind of putting things aside and making sure we're ruling out, it wasn't the medication, it wasn't the trauma, it wasn't his mental health. I just took a deep breath, like, all right, you know, this is, this is who he is. And now I got to find the right way to help him live his truth. Sure. Um, 
And that day is when I enrolled him. It was a, it was an 11 month waiting list to get into Yale's gender clinic. Um, and that was hard, right? Because you think about somebody who's suffering and that it's going to take that long. But I'll tell you, um, the transgender piece of this has been a lot easier than I thought it would be. Why? Um, How? I think it's because I knew it was his truth. And I was, I spoke, like I said, I go back to Debbie Kenworthy, that one conversation changed my entire perspective. And, um, and I think for him, um, you know, Daniel's such a bright kid, you know, that you've met him and um, he had been doing all of this research and educating me and Craig. Wow. I'm not surprised. Yeah. I'm not surprised. <laughs> Daniel lives with that computer, that smartphone, researching nonstop. Yep. Yeah. And I think, and I think though the testament to that, and whether he knows it or not, is that, you know, when we did this and he had some other mental health battles along that, I would say that November through January of 20, um, you know, he came back and then COVID hit, right? And my biggest concern for him was that, all right, here's this individual. Um, we got a lawyer to start working on changing his name, his birth certificate, his gender marker. And it takes some time, right? The you know, government works slowly to begin with. It worked really slowly during COVID. Yes, yes. But my bigger concern was that, oh my gosh, this poor kid, like what about socialization? It was tough already because of mm -hmm. the, the mental health and the IEP stuff. Like how do we, where will he fit? You know, where I was really nervous about that. And then Craig, it was so interesting. And I think about, you know, what an amazing, we talk about that partnership. Super, super dad, super man, it, super you know, man. I right, remember the Yankees could usually write about now, but I yeah. <laughs> um, he said, I remember Craig saying like Daniel was um, doing hockey. He, he was doing, um, you know, he loved hockey. He was taking some lessons and Craig's first thing to me was like, wow, when he had to walk into the, the men's room and Daniel came with him. Right. Mm. And it wasn't about that, like that being a problem. It was more about, I'm just so afraid for him. Right. I'm so afraid for him, at, you know, if somebody bothers him. Right. You know, and I mean, unfortunately, and I think I think the numbers aren't it's, it's more for black trans folks. But I think like one in five are, you know, have, um, you know, get attacked or brutally beaten. Mm. And I think that's important, too, when we talk about the Black Lives Matter movement and when you yeah. see the trans lives matter. Um, the statistics are pretty high, you know, and that's a scary, that's a scary proposition, right? As a parent or a caregiver mm -hmm. that here, my child, we're, we're supporting their truth, but it's really scary, right? It's not for us. It's more about what can potentially happen to him. Now, now clarify this a little bit. Take me in, take us into your home now. You have okay. two other daughters, your husband, impact on that situation. So it's, it's fun. Like I said, I can't imagine going through life with anyone else because um, I don't think there are many men that could have dealt with it as graciously and as supportively as Craig did so quickly. Um, and now it's hard, right? Because you know this individual as their birth name and as a female and to change like that is, uh, is difficult. Oh, I was like, <laughs> there, there um, there's a family. Um, I'll tell you what, the two younger ones, Alexa and Sienna, um, you'll get a crack up out of, uh, out of Sienna, the little one that has shine on there. Yes. She, she said she, we had somebody has been part of our life for a long time, Marissa. She used to be a caregiver for our kids early on. And she's like, Marissa was trying to 
support and was watching them one week. And she's like, well, I don't want to call him Daniel. He's Gianna. Right. And Marissa said, well, that's not how he identifies. Like he's your brother. And, and she goes, well, I don't like it, but I'll call him Daniel. (laughs) So so that's her personality in a nutshell. But I got to tell you, it's been, um, they have absolutely been amazing. Um, you know, I think we can learn a lot from children. We can learn a lot from their flexibility, their resilience. Um, Of course, we don't know what's going on in their mind Mm. 24-7. But those two little girls right there, he's Daniel. And that's their brother. And they love him. And they're supportive of him. And they just want to be around him. Mm. I'll show you another picture. I want you to just speak to this um, from your heart. What do you see? What do you see? Uh, so this was a really special day um, in October of last year. Um, like I told you that things worked really slowly <laughs> with the systems during COVID. But again, something I learned really, again, that one conversation of 15 minutes with Debbie Kenworthy, New Jersey is a really great state for LGBTQ folks. And we were able, that's, that's Daniel's birth certificate. And that is Daniel, full name is Daniel Garofolo, born to Craig Christopher and Jen Garofolo, mm. and his uh, gender marker had always also been changed on there. Wow, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. I think we had another question in the chat room. Janice says, can you elaborate, if possible, on gender identity and mental health being two different items and sure. then not being viewed as one? Sure. So um, for me, it's been, listen, Daniel has been, all right, let me like take a step back because when I was trying to wrap my head around this, um, it's a great question. Um, I had asked, you know, uh, Dr. Aversa, who's David's, uh, David is uh, Daniel's psychiatrist. And he and I go way back to Brown. When you talk about meeting people my freshman year, who, who the heck would have known that, you know, He said to me, as I was learning through this journey, he said, you know, there are people who are transgender that know when they're really little, right? You hear these stories of really young kids, like in three or five, like just, you know, gender identifying. It doesn't usually happen that way though. It usually happens around uh, puberty. And that's where majority of folks, you know, come, it really come to terms with what they're feeling. Um, Daniel had shared with me that he didn't feel that way when he was younger. And when I think about what Daniel's diagnoses were, GAD is generalized anxiety disorder and oppositional defiance. So um, ODD piece, like that was his diagnosis and sensory issues when he was younger. And um, that to me was his diagnosis, right? That's a diagnosis. I know that in the DSM-5, when you look at things, right, gender dysphoria is a category, right? And that's considered a mental health under the DSM-5. But I don't believe his mental health um, classifications cause the transgender, right? I, from that, that way, I think that transgender and the feelings that he was feeling and being in the wrong body and things of that nature can exacerbate that anxiety and that mental health situations. But to me, it's, they're two distinct issues, but trans, being transgender and all the anxieties and dysphoria that come along with that definitely impact the mental health. Um, and I, I guess I would attribute the analogy to think about it, think about it now through COVID, right? Many of us are not raising our hands saying, Hey, I've got mental health issues. Right. right. But I bet you, if you really were introspective as to what we've all gone through over the past 14 months, 
we've all suffered some mental health challenges, right? With our dynamics. So I think that's the piece where you don't have to be diagnosed at times. You can still have mental health positives and negatives. So I think you shared with me earlier, one in four people. Yes. One in four people have a mental health, um, mental health uh, challenge, whether diagnosed or not. And I think, you know, coming out of mental health awareness month last month is, you know, it's an important statistic because you look around any room, one person in there is suffering. Yeah. Right. That's a big number. And on, on the news of late, Naomi Osaka, mm -hmm. what happened at the French Open? Um, right. What, what do you do? I mean, she says anxiety disorder, talking to people. I'm an introvert. I don't want to do it. $15,000 fine. And then she eventually withdraws. I think uh, we have a long way to go. I mm. think um, as a, as a community, right. We think about, you know, illnesses that we cannot see. Right. I think um, there, you know, we have a physical disability or you know, my husband always uses the example that when um, Daniel played baseball, when he was younger, there was a child who was severely autistic and everyone's cheering for them right at home plate. Daniel had a mental health disability and, you know, kind of like through the bat, like just really had a bad anxiety attack and he almost gets ejected from a game. Wow. And I think that's a really important thing. What Naomi did, I applaud her for, and I want to be around people like that because they're going to make differences and changes. I think that you know, when you talk about someone might be introverted, right? Just how we're wired. My, you know, Craig is an introverted expressive. I'm an extroverted expressive, right? Yeah, so right. even with that learning, learning that we both can be expressive people, but we just show it differently. Yeah. Um, and as an athlete, you know, I think about what she, you know, the pressures you go through, right? As a professional athlete, whether it be football, whatever it may be, basketball, what have you look at some of the stuff going on on the court right now. And I think, um, you know, I applaud her for taking that stand. It's, it's okay to be vulnerable and it's okay because this will make a difference. Yes, extremely vulnerable, extremely. Uh, there's another question in the chat room. Let's go over there. It says, how do you respond to those who believe that transgenders and others in the LGBTQ plus community are learned behavior? Mm -hmm. Again, how do you respond to those who believe that yep. transgenders and others in the LGBTQ plus community are learned behaviors? So uh, the question, and I'll tell you, you know, growing up as a female athlete, you know that we were all gay, right? We're all gay. As, you know, if you play basketball, softball, we're all gay. Um, and for, and for our viewers to know, Jen did play, did start captain at Brown University. She did no, play. I wasn't captain. I wasn't captain, but I, I, did, <laughs> I did play. <laughs> uh, my very good friends were, though. But um, no, I think, you know, for me, I, and this is, again, this is in my college years when, when, when I, you know, I had some friends coming out to me and things like that. It was like, you know, life is so gosh darn hard to begin with that nobody chooses to be gay. No one chooses to be, life is so hard enough. Um, I think that, um, so for me, the way that I deal with it is that's what I say. You know, it's like, life is so darn hard. Do you think somebody's really going to want to go through that? Um, I think that we've come so far in that, but I, I'm going to be, you know, be very real with you is that what I came to terms with, you know, when Daniel came out to us was that we have gone through so much already from a mental health perspective that there were people that came in and out of our life, right. And made judgments and 
whether they be colleagues, my parents, whatever they may have been, that you have to decide who your tribe is and who you want to be around. And for me, again, having gone through that from a mental health perspective, again, my resilience and my baseline of stress just got higher. I think of what I could tolerate. But for me, it was pretty clear, like, if you cannot accept my family, then you're not a part of my life. Right. So that was the approach that I took and it worked for me. Is it easy at all times? Absolutely not. But it's important if it's people that you love. Right. Family, family. Jim, this is a portion of the show where we put our guests on the hot seat, even though Uh it may seem like it's been hot up to now. And that's essentially where I give you a word. Okay. I'm going to give you a number of words. I give you a word one at a time. And when I give you the word, you share the first thought that comes to mind, the first word that comes to mind. This is not a think to talk. This is a talk to think. And they're going to be coming rapid fire. Okay. Uh Uh-oh. Okay. Here we go. Your first word is strong or strength. Emotional. Emotional strength. Oh, just one. Okay. Seeing the silver lining. One word, vulnerability. Me. Family. Friends. Courageous. I'm I'm sorry, vulnerability. Oh, you did that. Courage. Real. Mm. Resilience. Uh, I can't do it in one word. Dust dust yourself (laughs) off and get done. Go for it. Go for it. (laughs) Truth. Love. Leadership. Presence. Craig. My heart. Daniel. My being. You are off the hot seat. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Now tell me about this book you've been working on. Where are we? Where are we? It's it's your journey, your truth. What's going on? Well, it's so funny because I remember um, there are a few books, right, that I got stewing up here, and um, you connected me with somebody years ago, right? And I and it's, mm-hmm. I, I recently said to Craig Kramer, the mental health ambassador, he stopped by, and they said, I've been dragging my feet on this book. I got to stop. And he goes, um, you're definitely not dragging your feet. You've been a little busy. Um, the initial title, when you and I sat down, was Fighting for Her Life. And, it's fight, and I changed it a while ago, even before... Um, Daniel came out as transgender for fighting for their lives because it's not just the individual that's suffering from a mental health perspective, but everyone around that, right? The family, when you said, when you, said, when you asked me that question about what's family, it's because friends are our family, like, yeah. because the people around us, I, you know, it's just, you know, who are your people, who are your tribe, right? Mm-hmm. And I think, so this book is really, um, it's evolved as I put together the business plan. And, and, and it, it will continue it to will continue, do that because know. that's what life does. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, it's funny because um, I approached Daniel about this a year and a half ago and he wasn't in the most stable place. And he's like, I want to do it with you. Wow. So Daniel wants to be part of it. And then um, David Aversa, who I mentioned earlier, who is my friend, again, like an acquaintance from Brown, but we have since become very good friends, you know, 15 years after graduating. Um, he's going to write it with me also. So um, it's really about the couple different perspectives, right? Of from a caregiver, from an individual going through it and from a practitioner 
you know, the journey of our life so far to help others. Cause it's, um, again, like I said earlier, um, I have become much stronger and better at advocating, but even in this past couple months and the journey that our child and we as a family have been through, it really is disgusting. The, um, the lack of coordinated care and the money that goes into some of these things we have to pay out of pocket for certain care um, through the insurance companies and through the fact that people a lot less fortunate than I are mortgaging and second mortgaging their, and losing their homes to pay for their children to get help. What have you learned the most during this journey or what has this journey taught you? This journey around advocacy, this journey of change, this journey, this journey of you and Craig heavy lifting your husband. What what have you learned most? I think um, the what you, again the video is that, and I don't always do it well, is putting that oxygen mask on first because if you don't take care of yourself, you can't take care of those around you. Um, that would be the first thing. Second thing is um, you know it's kind of like when you become a parent. If you become a parent, that you really do not know what it is to be a parent, right? Right. Uh, or the love that you can feel for another being um, until you have a child, whether adopted or, or you know, even your nieces or nephew, you just don't understand what that love can be and what you'll do. And I think really the, when you talk about strength and that resilience, um, I thought I was strong and resilient, but I'll tell you if you would, like, when I look at, look back, it's like, I'm really strong now and not all the time, right? I have my moments of I feel like I'm that driver business mode, just pushing things aside, but then I'll have those moments of just breaking down. Right. And it's okay mm -hmm. to break down. Mm -hmm. um, and I think um, the last piece, and I shared this as an example, um, sometimes you're just on that treadmill, right. Of fighting, fighting, fighting and advocating and driving. And I think the best decision I ever made was a couple months ago. And it was when Daniel was away um, dealing with some crisis stuff. And, um, a week before I said, you know what, we need a vacation. Mm. And, um, a week, a week later, we were in Mexico for two weeks with the family. And I say wow. this just because, wow. you know, we have all been suffering through COVID. Like COVID has not been normal for anybody and the stressors we're all dealing with in general, right? Just take that and really be introspective about that. And Craig and I talked about this. It took me five full days going to bed at like eight thirty, nine o'clock at night and just doing nothing on the beach with my family to completely decompress. And it was at that point in time where I realized, Hey, no, this isn't normal the way that I've been operating. So I always say that my pain is not worse than anyone else's. It's just different, right? It's what we experience, but my baseline, my threshold is just different, right? Because of how we've dealt with things over the years. And that was when I realized like, wow, no, even though I felt like I've been pretty calm and pretty good with things, it's like, wow, did my body and mind and spirit need a rest? Listen, we have a couple of uh, questions in the, in the chat room. Tennis legend Martina Navratilova had a very ignorant and insensitive comment regarding Naomi Osaka last week. In your own life, how were you able to handle negative and ignorant daggers being thrown at you and Daniel? You spoke to it a little bit earlier. Do you want to yeah. elaborate? Yeah. So um, I'll answer the one from the trans perspective. And I think the mental health one has been, has been tougher. And honestly, that's why I say like, for me, um, 
not that it's an easy journey, the transgender journey, but it was easier for us because we had gone through the mental health journey already. Um, you know, it was interesting because it was actually at a funeral where Craig's father had passed and the positives were like, wow, there were so many people that acknowledged Daniel. It was the first time really showing up as Daniel to family and, you know, Craig's friends and stuff, but it was really hurtful. Um, you know, when I saw people staring at him, right. And, and really questioning, like, you know, who is that even family members. And to me, it was like, you know, I don't even know if Dan, Daniel noticed that. And I hope that he didn't. But as a parent, right, when you're thinking about that, is that you just want to protect your child from all the um, the hurt in the world. And um, to me, it was, you know, not everyone's going to accept him and accept us and our, you know, maybe questioning how how can we move so quickly as parents, right, on this. Um, did, did, did you guys talk about that when he noticed the stairs? And I don't think we never talked about it with him. I don't know. Yeah. But Craig and I did because Craig was very upset about it as well. And, but then there were other family members that were just amazing, right? So it surprised you. And I think, um, you know, and I think about, you know, Craig's extended family and I think about my extended family, folks that are much older, right? In their seventies that are just, you know, they may not fully understand it, but they are fully accepting and fully mm -hmm. trying to learn, right? And that's the piece that just shows me the hope uh, there. I think to answer the second part of that from a mental health perspective, and I think that's just what made has made me, me and Craig stronger, is that, you know, I shared my situation when I was um, at J&J &J and we were going through a really hard time in 16, is that, um, and I was working in the mental health, in the neuroscience area at J&J, &J, which I thought was, wow, God put me here for a very specific reason, like not <laughs> in oncology anymore, diversify into neuroscience, because I'll be around psychiatrists and people that we were working on schizophrenia medications and I was like, wow, I'm going to be among my people, you know, people that will really understand in the worst time of our life, what we were going through. And it was the completely the opposite. People judged me. People, um, were not kind. People tried to, um, unfortunately minimize my work and really made me feel like I wasn't stable and I needed work really as a, as a distraction, right? Cause my child was so sick at that time it was probably the most hurtful thing I've ever gone through. So even with the transgender journey, I always say that nothing could ever be as bad as 2016 with some of the stuff that Daniel went through and we went through as a family and me at work as well. Um, that I just, you know, for me, I had to get my head back on. Sure. And um, it, so that was the beginning of 16 by the middle of 16, that resilience factor kind of kicked back in. And I was like, you know what? I'm not gonna let this define me in my professional mm -hmm. career either. And I chose to lay, leave J&J &J on my terms. So for me, it was that I'm gonna lift myself back up, dust myself off and know my value and worth and then find my path next. Mm, I feel it, I feel it. I, I see you reliving as you're retelling what happened. Thank you for being so candid. Uh, question in chat rooms heating up, what kind of support makes a difference from friends to a family going through this? Again, what kind of support makes a difference from friends to a family who's going through this? Um, I gotta tell you, uh, really just being there, right? Mm -hmm. And utilizing the right name, the right pronouns, um, but also asking questions if they have questions, right? We're going through this and if people care, 
right? They want to learn more about it as well. This is, you know, maybe new to people, right? And, um, you know, through COVID, we had, um, we got really close with a couple people and they were just absolutely, they were our people, right? Through COVID, our COVID bubble. And, um, you know, every Thursday night we spent time and Daniel was so comfortable with them, right? And really was able to kind of find his own in a lack of a social environment, but with some adults, um, that was great. And then now I got to tell you, um, as you saw from the, <laughs> I've been doing CrossFit for a long time. Um, not always consistently though. And um, uh, just like everyone else, I think I've gained the COVID 25, but, uh, but I think, you know, finding that community, um, we belong to a CrossFit gym that um, is owned by a friend of ours and the community there, they have just rallied around us and my son. Wow. And they love him and support him. Mm. Mm. Your tribe, your tribe, your tribe. Mm -mm -mm. Sorry. Incredible. Um, in today's society, I'm back to the chat room. In today's sure. society, where some of us can be extremely judgmental, have you lost any of your close friends or family? during this time. Again, in today's society where yeah. some of us can be extremely judgmental. Jen, have you guys lost any close friends or family? Um, the interesting thing is, is that we haven't through the transgender journey. Um, I'm sure people are questioning, right? Um, we actually lost more through the mental health journey early on, inclusive of my parents, because they were extremely judgmental. Um, saying that we weren't, you know, Daniel was our first child, right? You don't know what you don't know. And would say, you know, you and Craig aren't aligned. You're yuppie parents, you're not raising him right, um, spoiled. And it wasn't any of that. It was that he had severe mental health challenges. So again, I think that things, I think it would have been different, right? If we just, if this was the only thing that we had right. been dealing with. Um, but we saw a lot more stigma 12 years ago um, with mental health. I think we spoke to the, the next question a little earlier. If you want to go back there, it sure. says, um, how has it affected your two other girls? Yeah, I think, um, like I said, they've been great. And let me share in a little bit. Like I, I got approval from Daniel to share. So, um, you know, I talked about how bright he is, right? And through COVID, uh, when we started his journey through CHOP, Chop Gender Clinic, um, mm -hmm. he did his own research because what was bothering him is the most is the top, right? Everyone suffers differently. And um, I had no idea how far he had gone through puberty already, right? Because he was wearing baggy clothes and just very uncomfortable. He found a surgeon that's, that um, was top notch and started a new procedure in Indiana. And it's since relocated to Miami. And um, we saw how much pain and suffering that was causing him and the dysphoria um, that through COVID, um, Daniel actually reached out to this surgeon. We had our, we, last summer we had our session and I flew him down there. And he, um, and again, this is, again, it goes, all goes back to Debbie Kenworthy and the fact of helping them live their truth and getting in there so you can remove that pain for them. And 
he was the youngest person she's ever operated on and but said we had obviously this is not something done lightly right you have to have a lot just for for knowledge purposes this is not you can't just go and do this and have it's you know we think about it as a mastectomy it's called masculoplasty um but uh he so um, most people get it 19 or older Daniel was only 13 at the time and I'm mm-hmm. sure people had a lot of judgment to the question previous question and may not agree but it doesn't matter because that was what was right for our son. And we did our research and he, uh, we went down there and um, this procedure was done where it did not have any drains and he's healed nicely. And the change in this child from pre-surgery to post-surgery, he came home. And again, those friends we were talking about, mm-hmm. he was comfortable to go swimming and be his authentic self. So if anything, when you, you know, I think back to that first class, Jim, when you talk about authenticity and vulnerability, that's how I've always lived. And that's the kind of leader that I am. So why would I not support my child to be his authentic self? Absolutely. And it sounds like the chemistry at home is, is wonderful. It's wonderful. And it's continuing to grow. Uh, Someone wants to get their hands on that book. Did you give the book release date or did you smoothly (laughs) avoid doing that? Looking forward to reading it. (laughs) <laughs> no, I haven't. Uh, we haven't gotten that far yet, but uh, but now is the time for me to get moving. All right. Last question. What advice do you have for those who have the same desires, but who may not have similar resources? So what advice do you have for those who have the same desires, but may not have the same resources? Sure. Um, I think there's a lot out there when you look at um, NAMI, a National Alliance of Mental uh, Mental Health. Um, also, PFLAG. PFLAG is an amazing resource. Um, you know to get involved in things. And there, if you do search out there from a trans perspective, um, one of the pleasant surprises that I had um, were that for people, like I'll give you, like, we are on Etna's plan, right? We're on Etna. Insurance companies um, are recognizing, um, which is amazing, right? People before us have done a lot of work. And um, Daniel's, a lot of people, if you're on hormonal treatment for a year um, and have the right doctor letters, and, you know, I've been seeing a psychiatrist and been going through gender clinic, there are, uh, insurance will cover a lot. I can't believe an hour has flown by, but Jen, we are not going to let you get away until you give us a keynote. You know, I'm a speaker. I'm always running my mouth. And we ask our guests, our guests toward the end of the show to provide a 30 second keynote. It could be on change. It could be on advocacy. It could be on anything you want it to be, but we want you to look right into the camera And you know, we've been in presentation skills classes before. (laughs) I want you to look into that camera, 30 second keynote, talk to our viewers and talk to our listeners. So a quote that's always resonated with me is from Andy Andrews. Um, I will not make time for second thoughts. My life will not be an apology. It will be a statement. And I take that in my heart constantly. Um, I live out loud, I'm authentic. And I will not change who I am as a leader. I want to make an impact on others. And my calling, my my job is, I love what I do, but my true calling is to help others um, in that mental health and transgender community. Wow. Wow. So what's next for you? 
Thank you. Drop the mic real quick. What's, <laughs> what's next for you? Well, it's uh, going full steam ahead on this book. And um, as things are starting to open back up again, um, the first thing, because it's Pride Month, um, of course, we've been looking for non-virtual pride activities. So Daniel, Daniel's been looking um, for us to be involved and really make a statement, you know, at different pride events. So that's, so we, we got to get right on that this month. I want to thank you for coming on the show, for being so transparent, so vulnerable, being so informative, answering all the questions and bringing your true authentic self. Yes, we had a couple of tissue issues, but as you always do, you keep getting up and you keep bringing it. So my friend, I thank you for making time for us. And I believe we did learn an awful lot. And for you out there, thank you for tuning in. Come back next week, bring some people with you. Again, our goal is to provide information and transformation. We wanna make sure everyone is living their life out loud. You know what I'm gonna say right now? You've just been impacted. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.